over to you, David. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sarah, great to be here and, and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, today, we're going to try and help you understand something that's new, something that's out there and, and something that we've been working on in the background now for nearly seven years. And, and finally, we've got to uh, some marketplace and market share. So my background is an exercise and sports physiotherapist, and we're going to talk about MSD risk analysis. Historically, we used to do them manually. We used to do manual assessments in a manual uh, of manual tasks. So what we've tried to do is modernize that, and we're going to discuss that. So hence, we're using data, data that is driven, driven from these analysis. This whole system is born out of research. It began with a research and development grant through the Australian Coal and Research Project, and we did a two-year project at BHP in 2015 and 16. And it's taken a while for us to get to a product that is uh, viable, validated, reliable, and functional. So it looks good, nice to use. So that's where we're at today. We know that to assess MSDs in the workplace, it can be a bit tricky. So they're difficult, they're time consuming, they're subjective, they're unreliable, and they're often done by so-called experts. And what does that often mean? They'll come into your workplace, they'll interrupt your workflow. And part of the challenge that we're now seeing with these task assessments is that they're often done by people with different backgrounds. So whether you be an occupational therapist, whether you be a physiotherapist, and more commonly we're now seeing exercise physiologists doing these in the workplace or an ergonomist. Up there is the Australian Code of Practice Risk Score, and that's what we use as a baseline. So we can see that assessing MSDs has historically been difficult, challenging, time consuming. So how do we improve that process? Well, we'd educate people. We'd get the so-called subject matter experts to come into a workplace and do these assessments. We would look at injury history. We'd look at claims history, review, review the hazard profiles. So what does this mean? We'd use tools, we'd use processes, and we'd use people. And why do we do this? Because we know it's not easy to assess risk within physical tasks. It's hard. We all acknowledge that. Key point is we cannot efficiently assess all hazardous manual tasks with a manual assessment. It's difficult. And that's why we had to do all these people's processes and tools to try and improve the process. So what do we currently do? Well, we'd review all these things. We'd talk to a worker, we'd talk to the health and safety team, we'd try and look at hazard reviews, we'd look at injury reports and claims, and we'd discuss near misses. A lot of this tells you it's a reactive process. So we're responding to what's happening. So we are always chasing our tail. It's not proactive, it's reactive. So what we need to do, is there a new way? And yes, there is a new way to do manual task assessments. The new way is automation, automation of this process. So at Joint Action Solutions, we, through our research project, we use five small wearable sensors. So they're strapped onto the body at the head, uh, the upper back, two above the elbows in the lower arm, and one in the low back. The sensors are basically about your thumb size. So they're about half your thumb and they're small, and we put them into a 
little uh, device that keeps them snug and then we strap them onto the body. So they're not connected to the body. The advantage of this is we're getting accurate, reliable, objective, and we're getting an immediate analysis and report. It's live. You can actually look at this. You can get a report and then you can act on it there and then. You download an app from the app store and often we record them on our iPhone because that's a bit easier to use in a workplace than a larger iPad. And if you remember, like any app, if it's on your iPhone, it's on your iPad. And you, so you can use the iPad as sort of reviewing as on the, on the go when you're at the work site. <clears throat> it's important to understand that we are assessing the task. We are not assessing the worker. So it is a automation of manual task risk assessment. So what we're trying to do is stop haptic management. Haptic management is an example of that is manual handling training. So coaching, those things are not hazard management. They're guidelines. They're hopefully this will reduce things, but we can now stop the hope process. We can have that reliable objective data. If you look at this um, capture from the iPad screen, so there's sense you'll get a reading on the neck, the back and the arms. So they're the three contributing regions to the risk score. So at the top right-hand side in the orange, it says 103.5. So that's telling you that's a substantial risk and that's based on the code of practice. So we're using technology to gain better risk controls. Remember they're quick, it's accurate, it's reliable, objective and instant feedback. It's sort of, if, if we want to understand work-related MSD risk, we need to manage it and to manage it, we need to understand it. And that's a challenge in the workplace and has always been a challenge. That's why we've adopted a new system, a new process. That's why we did a research project. We thought there's gotta be a better way. It's gotta be an alternative to what we're currently doing because we have not reduced claims, costs, injury rates around MSDs in workplaces for 30 to 40 years. We've made no difference with the old hat approach, haptic management, hazardous, uh, sorry, manual handling training. We haven't changed things. So there needs to be a better way for us to assess manual handling tasks, and this is it, automation. So we've got to stop that reactive process. We can now have an upstream model of care. We can actually have a prevention focus. One of the really nice things once we've done these assessments is we can then reassess. So we can actually try and put some risk controls based on the information you've got from that objective assessment. Then what you can do is reassess. So we can assess and reassess and you can get changes very quickly by using objective data. One of the really nice things too is you don't need your OT, physio, ergonomist or exercise physiologist on site. It can be anyone within your health and safety team. So non-experts can use this technology to perform the risk assessments. And the nice thing is that human element, that guesstimation, the, uh, I think this might be the problem well, we're eliminating that. So the potential biases associated with the individual's training and their education are eliminated. It's gone. So now we have an accurate, reliable prevention focus. So this is an example of once we've done an assessment, 
there's two icons on the report page and we click on the top right and we can get what are the contributing factors in the detailed assessment component of a, of a task. If we have a look at this, the green is okay. So if you look, there's three greens, so uh, neck and shoulders, and that's okay. But you'll see there's a yellow icon at the low back. And what this is showing is the low back score is 66.5. So the back region is the major contributor or the loads to the back of the major contributor to this risk score. We can then reassess them trying to change some of the loads that are experienced by the low back. Remember in a manual assessment, we would say, we'd film the person, oh, okay, they're bent at 20 to 45 degrees and they hold that position for 20 to 30 seconds. That would give us this risk score. And then we would then break it down and keep looking at that whole task and repeat that whole process. Look at the neck, look at the low back, look at the shoulders and then add it all up to get a total risk score for that task. This is now all automated. What we've done is create an algorithm from the code of practice and we've dumped it. So that's what we'll say our research project was, was it then creating the algorithm based on the Australian code of practice that has its manual handling. So we've automated that process. You don't have to now count. You don't have to see how much movement. You don't have to work out is it sustained or repetitive or is it both? It's all automated. So this therefore is giving you meaningful data, data that you can then help make decisions around. So that's where the phrase data-driven decisions come from. It's creating data that you can use, that you can then try and put a risk control in place based on the data that you've gained. And then you will reassess to see if your risk controls are lowering the risk score. So that's what I was just saying there. So the, it's defined by the Hazardous Manual Task Code of Practice, Safe Work Australia, 2016 and 18. So it's not numbers or theories that we've pulled out of a hat or a bag. We have got that whole manual assessment process and automated it. And then what we're doing is using standardised methodology for consequence damage weighting based on the Australian work-related MSD injury claims data. So the human element is removed. We're standardizing the assessment. That's the really nice thing. We've created an algorithm. We've standardized the assessment. So if you looked at the same task and are assessed it 10 times, you'll get the same outcome because you've removed all that human elements that lead to inconsistencies and therefore potential you've missed the boat. You haven't actually addressed the thing that needs to be addressed. You haven't made a difference. With this, we're stopping that. So that all those biases, all those things that you thought might make a difference, no, it's now become objective. It's become accurate. It's become reliable. And it's all based on Safe Work Australia's 2016 and 18 and like international standards uh, for risk factors as defined by the hazardous manual task codes. So it's important that you understand that this is an algorithm that took years to create. It wasn't just an overnight thing, but it took years to create through our research project and uh, it's making, um, yeah, it's been great with respect to getting better risk controls within organizations. Look, we want to, in every workplace, our whole, what's, what's your goal? What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to do? We want continuous safety performance improvement because we need to identify and quantify the risk elements of all hazardous manual tasks. That historically has been really difficult and challenging to do. And that's why we haven't made a change in MSDs and workplaces.
you'll get a display of the contributing risk factors for that task. And that's important. It's the contributing risk factors for that task. And that enables you to then to put hazard management processes in place. The nice things is we can also then create a task demands library and a return to work. One of the biggest challenges when we're returning to work from uh, an injury or a claim is where do you start? What is light duties? What is a job that loads the back? What is a job that loads the shoulders? What is a job that loads the necks? Once you've created a task demand library, you can see, well, these are the 20 tasks that do not load the back of a significant nature. So they would be the 20 tasks that someone returns to work rather than going to the GP. Oh, okay. Lift things for four kilograms for one month. See you in a month and we'll go from there. Okay, next second month, do eight kilograms. But no, you can now go with this library of tasks and say, well, these are the ones that put the greatest load in, in the back region in our workplace. That's important. That's our workplace, so it's relevant for that worker at that site. And what that means is you now have got a nice structured return to work rather than this sort of old-fashioned process that we used to use. So we're using the task demands library to help guide your decisions are based which jobs, which tasks you do on your return to work post-injury. So it's really nice that we can then, that the data tells us that which are the light duties and we're getting versus the weight-based guidelines. That's, you know, that's existed, it still exists. We still send people to the GPs on their, on their return to work and they still do these weight-based guidelines. You know, we can change that now by getting this objective, accurate, reliable information. <clears throat> uh, let's talk about data in sport because data in sport is, I'm, as, I'm an exercise in sports physio and <clears throat> that's what we used a lot. We use a lot of data to work out, well, they should have a light week this week. They should avoid these skills. They should avoid those components. But what I want you to understand is there's all this hype around the AFL draft every year. It's a player who's turning 18 and they do a series or a battery of tests. <clears throat> and from that, you will then work out what are their physical capabilities. If we look at the AFL number one picks over the last 20 years, so Nick Rewalt was uh, 2001, uh, Luke Hodge was 2002, and they've both had stellar and long successful AFL careers. But if we look at some other players, Jonathan Patton in 2011, he was the number one pick. He retired in 2021 and he, over 11 years, he only played 95 games. You can do the maths. There's a lot of games per year and he only played 95 games over an 11 year window. Tom Boyd, he was the 2013 number one pick. He retired in 2019. He played 61 games over seven years. And Paddy McCartan, he was the 2014 number one pick. He's played 47 games over six years. So what it means is physical performance or physical parameters of the person is there is no reflection in length of career or injury risk. So data based only on the physical does not guarantee a lengthy and successful career. So we need to understand that just looking at movement, and this is what the AFL draft does, does not tell you about risk, tells us nothing about risk. So it's important that data by itself, physical parameters, don't tell us whether there's any risk lying within that task. The, and interestingly, the average AFL career is 30 games and 2.9 years. So it's brief, it's not long. 
remember we're trying to have a worker doing our job for 35 to 40 years in some, some cases. So how do we combine data and risk together? So we, is it risky to do physically challenging work? No, we want people to do stuff. We say move. If you don't move, you'll run into, you'll get a sore back, you'll get stiff, you'll get weak. So it's, it's, it's great to be in a job where you're using your body for your work, but we need to strike a balance. So it's, we know it's risky also to not do physically challenging work. So we know sitting still is a problem. Doing heaps is a problem. And then we need to then get that middle ground. But interpreting data is vital. Should we do this or should the machines? Well, no, we, we like the machines doing it. We like the automation doing it because it's accurate and reliable. Stops the human elements, the human biases. Remember, we're using recognized risk factor analysis. We weight the scores by injury claims, damage and financial cost data. And that's where we get the creation of a risk score based on objective data. So we're not using people anymore we're not using experts it's it, and we understand it is not easy to assess risk within physical tasks but the automation process can help that significantly can help that make objective accurate data decision choices so one of the really nice things is 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 when you've looked at a battery or a heap of tasks so you might go into an organization and, and we can do like i've been at a gold mine we could do 20 task assessments a day. Um, so you can do lots pretty quickly. It's not as, it's a lot faster than we thought it would be. So it's, you're a lot more time efficient doing these things. And what it means is we can then prioritize where the risks lie post-assessment. And then you can intervene and confirm changes whether they're working or not. Because not every intervention or risk control that you will put in will lower that risk score. You're hoping it will, but we're now getting objective data to make that decision. Let's try this reevaluate, reassess, and then see if we've reduced the risk score. What we're hopefully then is getting this upstream model of care. Remember, a prevention focus. So we're creating best practice. So you're getting this cultural shift within organizations as well. You've got a workforce that's looking after its workers. And that's super, super important. And we do that. And we've had all the phrases, the zero harm. And that's they're super, super important. But the point is, MSDs, we haven't got on top of them. We haven't been able to change them and reduce them. So the automation process is the game changer. It's a game changer. <clears throat> so why do you use... <clears throat> Sorry, I'll just grab some water. Remember what we're trying to achieve in a workplace. We're trying to... It's not a, it's not a do it for one day. A lot of organisations will do task assessments at day, at week. And why? Because it's a continuous prevention improvement. You can't sit on your laurels. You've got to get better, improve, tweak, change, assess, reassess. And you. so it's a continuous process. Remember, it's hazard management. It's not haptic management. And if we rely on haptic management, uh, movement analysis or manual training, you're not going to change MSDs in the workplace. The organisations that we've been with, so Australia's largest postal service, they've used us for two years now. And they've had anywhere between, depending on the various sites, because there's a lot of sites with them in, around the country, a 23 to 26% less MSD claims cost per annum. And what that means is then your premium will reduce as well as associated with that. Because all of a sudden your insurer loves you. They're doing a great job. So we had a home care provider and they had a large increase in low back claims. 
and they thought it was due to lifting and moving clients in their homes. So they asked if they engaged us and see if we could then assess what was going on. So an investigation, this was not the case. <clears throat> Home care providers were found to have several contributing events, which included removing and returning equipment required for the home visit from their boot. Their car seating, they're in these um, small little cars, so they're quite low to the ground, but they had these enormous doors. So that was the other problem. They were just a two-door car, so there was a huge reach because some of these people were not very tall, so they had a huge reach to open the door and then to close the door. So it was these combined events of reaching forward to close and open, reaching to get the equipment in and back into the car post-home visit, and then you'd do that six to times a day. So it actually wasn't what was happening in the home. It was external to the home. And then some of the problems also was that as a home care provider, you can't park your car in their driveway in case an ambulance needs to come. So you've got to be on the street. So sometimes instead of being right out the front, you might have a 50 to 100 meter walk. So they're carrying all this equipment. So that so you can see all of these scenarios line up to, oh, that's going to be quite challenging because if you're seeing 10 people a day versus six a day, your exposure becomes higher. So then your risk of injury becomes higher. So we're able to then talk about, well, we need to put some changes in place based around, and it went to go to a different vehicle. That was one of the, so then we just got a different vehicle. We tried that, reassessed that, looked at them over a week and wow, it was quite significant with respect. So sometimes it's not what you think it is. They thought all the problems with back, because traditionally that's what used to happen. You know, you'd get back problems, shifting and moving patients in hospitals. Um, but no, this was actually external to that case. So getting this assessment process underway helps you then make better decisions. Sometimes we get it wrong, as in that case, what we thought might be the answer. So in some places we've got up to 54% reduction in reported work-related MSDs and the claims cost reduction has been quite significant. And then we're getting manual task risks. So if we looked at say hundred tasks, we're able to reduce them on average by 18%. So that's really quite significant. And these are not numbers that we've made. These are numbers our clients have reported. And these, you always have to be careful with and consider it around self-reporting. But a year-by-year -year reduction in costs, reduced work cover premiums, you're getting hazardous manual task risk reduction. So as we alluded to in the very first slide, the risk score is, is a table. And depending on where that risk lies will determine what you do. So if it was above 400, that says, says stop. Uh, if it was less than 20, that's continue. And all those other scenarios happen in between. So it's based on the Australian Code of Practice, hazardous manual task and the relevant international standards, which is um, the UK <clears throat> process, um, health and safety executive hazardous manual task risk assessment methods. So it's aligned with that. And it's focused on the task. Remember, we are task assessing. We are not people assessing, we are task assessing. Once you've done a, uh, an assessment, we will then put in some information at the end of that assessment. Now, that is what's called the um, adding extra information. It's a very technical name. But what that means is say, if you do a task assessment, We've filmed it for three minutes, but that job actually goes for 15 minutes. Well, then you'll put that in. How many times do you do that task per day? Well, we might do that 22 times a day. We might do that six times a day. 
So you put in the task repeats, the duration of the task, and the perception of load, and that's based on the Borg rating for individual perceived exertion. Because, for example, if I pick up 20 kg, I might say it's light, but someone else might say that's heavy. So that is relative that weight, that job for that person. And then any additional information, handles, slippery box, innate material, moving, gloves, temperature, humidity, all of that additional information may contribute to elevation of the risk and therefore elevation of the risk score. So the assessment assessor inputs are put in post-assessment. Now, often what we're doing is we'll get a raw assessment and then we'll duplicate that. And you can do that on the iPad or the phone. And then you'll put in all that relevant information and then you can create scenarios. Well, if we did that job 20 times a day, if we did it 50 times a day, if that job went for 60 minutes instead of six minutes, that will then give you some what ifs. And that's part of that decision-making process. What happened if we do it this amount and then we change how we do that? How do we get different people, rotate people, have a break in between, all of those things will help you to try and evaluate the task and reduce the risk score associated with that task. And the significance of these assessor inputs is really powerful because all of a sudden you're now chatting to the worker. So the assessor, whoever's doing that assessment, and the worker are doing real-time participatory ergonomic buy-in. So you're actually chatting how do you think that, how did that feel when you did that job? Was that hard? Was that light? Was that medium? Was that heavy? We're actually getting a task assessment for that job done by that person. And sometimes you might get the same task and reassess with a different person, or you'll have the same job at one site and the same job at a different site and you'll get a different risk score. So why are we having problems in Albury when we have no problems in Adelaide and they're doing the same job or the same task? So that's where you're then able to then get nice um, central evaluation. So you can then look at these things across sites as well. Remember, we're getting a true reflection by adding in that data, by adding in that uh, assessor inputs. And the more information we add, then the more relevant, the more sensitive, the more accurate that assessment will be for that task. So we're getting a more sensitive assessment. And that then helps you create meaningful data because then we've got data that we can drive our decision-making around to try and intervene, to try and reduce the risk and the exposure to that person potentially developing a musculoskeletal disorder. So what's your outcome? Well, your outcome is these wonderful things are happening. You're getting better targeted risk controls. Uh, as we've alluded to, you can compare tasks across sites because what happens is the assessor is using an iPad or iPhone, that all gets dumped into the cloud. So people in head office can see what you're doing on site. People in Adelaide can see what you're doing in Brisbane and Perth and Darwin, and you can all have a look at, so you can get your whole team. So if you're an organization across several sites, it's really powerful. And that's where it's been great for um, Australia's largest postal service because they had problems at some sites, but not others. So it was trying to work out why. And then we, it enabled us to then make some good decisions around reducing risk within certain sites. Um, so you, what does it mean? You're getting better decision-making on your interventions. So the cloud or the portal that we use or dashboard is um, it's a great feature because that'll then from there, then it's where you basically do all your reporting. But it means is that 
the people who are doing the assessments, because that assessment is actually stored on the device, but it all gets dumped into that central portal or dashboard. So it enables everyone who needs to, to look at those assessments. And what, what happens then? You're doing this, you're talking, you're communicating. Why don't we try this? Let's do this. Look, let's look at that. Instantly, you're thinking, you're reevaluating, you're reassessing. You're actually trying to change. You're actually trying to get worker engagement, get assessor engagement, get decision makers involved. So you've got all top levels, medium levels and low levels right through the organization are all involved in the process of trying to reduce MSTs. So the direct benefits, there's some direct benefits from using joint action solutions, utilizing automated task assessments. You get improved employer, physical and mental health because all of a sudden you've got a worker engaged. We, we were on site somewhere and we did an assessment and we looked at it and we got, this guy went up on a picker. He went up, oh, I don't know, it was about six to seven meters higher to the ceiling, pulled down a washing machine, put it on the picker. And we looked into it and um, we thought, yeah, that looks pretty hard to do that because we've got to drag it across mesh. And um, so the size of the mesh was quite important. It was a 50 millimeter mesh. Well, maybe you go to a smaller mesh size because that will then slide easier. So, but and then, then are you going to roll that across every plant in the country? So then that becomes a cost making decision because all of a sudden we've been able, so then you get the different mesh. But what I'm trying to say is you've got workers talking. He said, yeah, I've had a sore back every time I do that for the last three weeks. Oh, hang on. I didn't know about that. Well, because people don't talk to people usually on site. So you've got this engagement that's happening straight away because guess what? I'm doing an assessment because we want to check if you're okay, if that job's okay when you're doing that task, are you putting yourself at risk? We want to help reduce that. And this is how we do it. So we're getting reduction in incidents and injuries. We're actually talking about and evaluating and reassessing. We're doing all these things to help lower injury claims costs, lower insurance premiums, and reduction in the incidents and injuries within workplaces. So it's really powerful. So they're the direct benefits you'll get as an organization. The indirect is this stuff that we didn't really, that you only see over time once you start to doing it. And the really important one was the communication, morale and job satisfaction. People were significantly happier that you're actually caring. You're actually doing things to help look after them within their workplace. And the big benefits then are you're getting a reduction in staff turnover and absenteeism. So that retraining, that stuff there where people are pulling out, and it's really difficult in times with COVID and flu and, you know, there's lots of instability in workplaces. So having your workforce there more days than not, so they're not getting eliminated from work or reduced from work or changed or modified because of an MSD. So we're getting that reduction in staff turnover and absenteeism and training. And what's that mean? Increased productivity. You've got more people at work for more days, your productivity will increase. And you've got this really nice system now where you can do your reporting. You can have a nice audit trial and this uh, area around compliance, well, you're able to now meet that because we've assessed these tasks, we've put some measures in place and we've reduced them with some risk controls. So the indirect benefits have been really quite significant across organisations that have used it for a period of time. Um, this is just an example of, of once you've gone into the portal about uh, how, how does, so, how do I make that bigger? Um, but this is just an example of, so green is obviously good. So these are showing uh, high risk tasks. What are the top 10 highest 
scoring tasks. What are the top 10 highest tasks for the low back, for the shoulder, for the elbow? Where you're getting two boxes, you're trying to put in risk controls. So pre and post, you put in a risk control. What was the pre-risk score and the post-risk score? And what were the least effective risk score reductions? So you've got the 10 highest, the 10 lowest. And then we've got an overall in this graph here we're showing. So this is risk score across the top. And this is pre and this is post. So we've got a, and this is month by month because this is a three monthly report. Uh, and then what it's showing is that you're getting a consistent reduction in risk scores. So the right data can help you gain better understanding of the risks within hazardous manual tasks. Remember, we all acknowledge we cannot eliminate risk, but we can certainly reduce it. And we can certainly reduce it to an effective way that reduces your costs and claims associated with MSD and you get a healthier, happier workforce because someone's caring, someone's providing an assessment tool and you're engaging them. So everyone's actually all of a sudden talking to each other. So you're connecting people within the organisation. That, that's probably the most powerful thing I've found by using this tool. It's that sort of disconnect in organisations. It doesn't happen because you've got people there that are evaluating the difficult. They're trying to make what's difficult and historically hard to do easier. And we don't, we're not an organisation that's focused on compliance. We're focused on difference. What are you trying to achieve within an organisation? Here is a tool, an automated assessment tool for hazardous manual tasks, how to reduce their risk. Well, now you can using an automated process. So it's important that, uh, and it can be a bit hard, you know, embrace technology. Uh, um, yes, I'm of the mature athlete, as I like to call myself. Um, and technology is can make a huge difference. And this is a really good example of how it can make a difference. So embrace it. You're living in the past if you're still doing manual task assessments. And you can now do automated task assessments um, to help reduce your MSK risks and potential hazardous manual tasks. Let's reduce them, lower them, change them. So using data can help you make better decisions around MSK risks and controls within your organizations. Um, that's how you can find us. So I'm, my name's David Bick, there's no S, it's just David Bick and that's our email or, and you can email us at info at jointaction.solutions. Uh, where we've got a UK, US representative as well. Uh, we're working on in those two continents as well. And we've got people all up the Eastern seaboard. I live in Brisbane. Uh, we've got some people in Sydney, some in Melbourne, uh, country Victoria, and we're in Europe as well. Thanks everybody. It's, um, I hope that's helped you. And I look forward to some of the questions that are gonna pop up. Okay. Thank you, Dave. Um, the first question came through the chat from Naren. Um, how much does the conditioning of a person play in WMSD? Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I think that's that's important. The ageing workforce, I think that's where that question is probably, it's a big challenge for all of us in workplaces that work with uh, physical workforce. Uh, the beauty of those less capable physically workers, they're smarter. They, they often know how to get around it. They'll have rest periods, they'll have a break in between, they'll go at a, a more gentle pace than the, um, but it's important. And yeah, physicality is important when you're doing a physical job, 
that's often why we see people struggle uh, first week back after they've had a few weeks off work. So it's getting back into that return, very much like pre-season training and footy. You know, that they're a bit bit rough and a bit sore. But but if you're in a physical job, it's important that you still have some physical uh, presence. Otherwise, it's going to become more and more challenging. Um, so often, you know, think of the carpenter at 40, they're often using the management. So, um, they, you know, when they're not on the tools anymore is often the phrase that's used. But it's a bit understanding that, that in the workplace, you sometimes don't have that choice. So it's how to look after your workers is important. And this is a tool that can help you do that. So Chris asks, how is the consideration of force exertion incorporated into your system? Um, that's based on that perceived exertion. So once you've done that assessment, you'll ask the person who's done the task, the perception of load. So was that light, was that medium, or was that heavy? And that, and then how, what percentage of task did you have your hands on the object? So all those parameters. So for example, when I was at, um, a large retail store, they would carry microwaves out to a car and then we would put them on a trolley, as I said. So then that becomes a significant less time that you're requiring to exert force by putting it on a trolley and pushing that along versus carrying the object. So, and we did that because we did that assessment and, but you, then you plug the parameters back in and you can see there was a huge difference in the risk core associated with. So while the trolley is a good idea, there's only one trolley in the store. You've got six people on sales they're all trying to get stuff to cars at the same time. You've only got one trolley. So guess what? Management, buy trolleys. But that, that's, that's, um, but that's that sort of cost process that's a bit of a challenge in workplaces about sometimes buying simple things to actually help your worker uh, get less exposed and therefore less likely to develop an MSD. Thank you. Um, Claire says, hi, David. Fantastic presentation. How do we further encourage that chat and ensure that people, and especially, don't think that injury or pain equals weakness, so they are more free to speak out and look after themselves. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I think it's important, Claire, that we uh, really. So, in, in the in this, if I go back to the sporting arena, every morning in the sporting arena, we would get people to fill out a wellness chart. Look, how'd you sleep? How do you feel today? Uh, what? How do you think you'll train today? Any issues happening in your personal life? Because you could have got a message but we don't ask that in the workplace. So I think it's really important. So that's where those, sometimes those uh, opportunities in a toolbox meeting or in a, some places we'll do a, a five second, get your head ready for work. So I often talk to people about, you've got to physically prepare, uh, but how do you do that? By mentally tuning in. Unless you actually connect your brain to your body, you're going to find your work difficult. So it's important to understand if you're feeling flat, I feel like crap today. I don't feel that myself, but I still go to work. One of the kids has thrown up overnight. I've had an interrupted sleep, but I still go to work. But they're the days I need to understand that, oh, just slow down. Just take your time. Just look after yourself today. And it's really important as men, we're terrible, but let's look after each other. That's, that's really important. So I, I would always encourage your health and safety people to keep the chat up. That's really important. Um, so... We've also got a comment here, very informative. Thank you. Is Jazz a subscription-based service or a one-off cost? Uh, it's a monthly subscription. So it depends if you want it for, it's the same cost per month. And um, so, yeah, and sometimes we do projects. So um, with, with one of Australia's largest retailer, we're just doing a, a five-day project where I just go to different sites and we do an assessment and, that, and that's a flat fee and a one-off cost because sometimes 
you're not too sure how the system works and we get that. So some people just like to dip their foot in the water, see how it works. And then from there, ah, okay, we'll buy it. And that's usually 12 months, 24 months, 36 months, whatever you want to do. Um, Pre-work warm-up exercises. Look, I, I, I think if people, I don't like that generic thing where everyone's doing the same thing. I like people to, I feel stiff here, what do I need to do? So we try and understand that there's some sort of team approach, but there's some things that you need to do specifically for your body. They're the things that you need to do. So um, the one thing that I really do like a pre-work warm-up is it gets people talking and thinking and preparing for work. So I like that as well. I like people because I like people sort of understand that there's just a couple of things you can do like that. Rotation, rotation, squeeze your shoulder blades together. But what are you doing? You're actually tuning your brain in and starting the day as well. And I think one of the big problems is they're too long. You can really do it all in three to five minutes max. So don't, I don't, if you're spending 15 minutes to pre-work pre warmer, no, too long. Three to five minutes, dynamic, quick, get moving, tune in, wake up. Okay, so lots of questions. Um, Chris asked, nice presentation, David. When you're assessing the task and not the person, depending on what the person, won't there be a specific difference when you're assessing a yeah, there will, Chris, because part of that Man when we and a woman, for example, lifting a heavy load, both the show outliers when it comes to Yeah, no, yeah. it will because part of the that's why we've so we've got the same job done by two different people. And at this place, we used a, a man and a woman. It doesn't necessarily be can be young and an old work or experienced or inexperienced. And the perception of load by the one person is going to be a lot higher than the other. But what the data shows is that it's trying to then, it will quantify that. So you're actually, while the perception is you think that it's going to be significantly harder for the person who is perceived weaker, well, it didn't actually change the risk score. It was certainly higher, but it didn't, it wasn't a significant change. Um, there was one job where they really struggled with. So what that means is that job needs to be done differently by that person. So that's don't carry that object. You just need to put it on a trolley. So. Yeah, there is, but that's the whole idea of that assessment is for that person. So then we can then look at that same task done by a couple of different people. So that can be a nice training tool as well. Um, induction training tools. We can then get people to uh, evaluate that. Um, Nikki says, thanks, David. How do you account for objectivity with different people performing the same task as everyone uses their body differently? Is subscription based on headcount users or number of tasks assessed? I'll answer the last question first. Uh, no, you can do a thousand assessments a day. You can take the thing to different sites. You can do whatever you like. So it's just a monthly subscription. That's it. So whether you use it on 500 people or 50 people, it does not matter. And there is no, um, so there's no limitation. So headcount users number of tasks, Irrelevant. We don't, it's just a monthly subscription. Do whatever you like, knock your socks off. Um, how do you account for objectivity with different people? Well, that's where, so we would, we did a thing the other day where we're lifting 85 centimeter TVs. So do you have your feet side by side? Do you have your feet in a stance position? Because the grips on these things, and it's a two man lift, the grips on these things. So we then looked at that simple task. How did you find that? How did you find that? So it was just changing your feet position, got feedback to then try, okay, so maybe you need to standardize it. So yes, that's where 
what we're trying to then put in, okay, split stance versus feet together. Maybe that's the way we need to do it is a split stance because it was really quite significant, um, the difference in that, that. And that's the perception of load. They felt the load was really heavy when they had feet side by side, but it became light when they had a split stance because they could just get their one foot past the object. Um, so it made quite a difference. So that's then teaching you that a lifting technique in this case was done in two ways. And we objectively evaluated that there is one way that they should be doing that when it comes to that object. Okay, Michael says, how many assessments should be taken on a task to draw a reasonable, confident conclusion regarding the risk, considering most employees may rate the exertion differently depending on fitness levels, age, et cetera? Well, it's, it's one assessment per task. So a task can be, um, so this was picking up an 85 centimetre TV. So that really, and we were transferring, transferring that up onto a wave, which is a device that they would then take the, take the machine out to the car when people would pick that up. Um, so it's really just doing one assessment on a task. You can do, because a task is, can be anything. It needs to be a, at least a minute long, but um, it can be, a, most tasks are anywhere between that one to 10 minutes long. So they're not very long because they'll go from multiple tasks. And a task is completed when there is a one, this is all based on the code of practice, when there is a one minute rest or stop period, then it becomes a new task. So if you stop for one minute, jobs, jobs, task is finished. Um, the cost of the monthly subscription, send us an email and we'll, yeah, we do trials. We do a lot of trials, Chris. Um, that's that's the most common thing we're probably doing now. Um, a lot of organisations just buy it post post trial or post evaluation because it's because it's new. It's how does it work? Um, we are very different to previous um, uh, creators out there, so that's why there was a question around assessments. No, no, we we just want you to use it. We want you to knock your socks off and do as much as you want. Okay. Um, there's a lot of comments coming through the chat as well. I, um, there's something from Jane about if you've done any work in the restraint of persons, prisoners, rec this is recognised as hazardous manual handling in this task. The weight, height, strength of the non-compliant person is a huge variable, as is the environment that the restraint occurs. Um, now, how would you this information translates to prevention of injury, giving the extreme variables and the nature of the task. That's a very long. Um, is that from Jane? Just wondering if any of the work can be done in restraint of a person or prisoner. Oh. Uh, no, we've done nothing in prisons, but I imagine that would be. Um, that's where you then backfill the data and talk about those things with respect to restraints because you'll have a notes section within and then there's clearly some scenarios that are fairly unique um, and that will help you because that uh, help you identify these are the contributing factors to this task uh, restraints but no we haven't done anything with respect to um, prisons. Uh, just a couple more things that seem to be coming up. Can the technology be used in hazardous areas um, where the atmosphere could be flamm flammable, whether they're intrinsically safe? And also another comment about does the data feed rely on Wi-Fi? Um, yeah, so the, the sensors are intrinsically safe and they're certified. They are, we've used no, them in explosive in, environments. No, no, they're not intrinsically certified. 
are not intrinsically they're, social. No, they're, they're used in, ex, in explosive environments as UEE, that's uncertified electrical equipment, which is signed off by the mine manager. And in the right. case of, of gas plants, uh, the assessor is required to carry a, uh, a gas uh, detector with them when they're doing the assessments. Um, they are used in explosive environments in, in many cases, but they're not certified intrinsically safe sensors. Sorry, I didn't read that correctly. Yep, thank you. All right. Um, and uh, uh, sorry, to, to answer the, the Wi-Fi one, the sensors uh, capture the data and then that stream using Bluetooth LTE to an iPad or iPhone. If there's no communication happening between the two of those, um, that's okay. The sensors will connect later on and download. So it streams live to the device or can download later on. And then that iPad or iPhone can connect to the internet at a, at a later time to upload the data to the central portal but you get the reports immediately through the iPad and the and or the iPhone because the process the processing occurs live in the app. Okay. Uh, Chris Bukowski, you've asked how we involved with Longitude Six. Um, they're a seller of our equipment. They're a seller of our processing system. That's how that works. Okay. Um, buried up far in the chat is a link to a survey for webinars if you're interested just a quick survey find out what you want to hear and what you thought um, what your thoughts are and also a link somewhere up there for a the next webinar it's actually a myosh webinar on critical control management um i'll put that in now um otherwise i think that's all the questions and um i'm just going to paste this in copy Okay, so thank you so much, Dave. It looks like that was good, um, excellent knowledge. A lot of nice comments there. So, Thanks, Sarah. Thanks um, for the opportunity. Yes, I think there's a lot of people probably interested in contacting you for pricing and other questions. So there's that email address there. That'll also be on the email later today that we send out with the link to the podcast and the recording. So um, thank you, Gary, for helping to answer those questions too. Nice to meet you. And um, yeah, hopefully we can hear from you again, David. It might be nice to see this in action, have a live webinar. Oh yeah, we could do that easily. Like a, yeah, that'd be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah it would be good. So you can have, have it all happening and have the assessment happening at the same time. It'd be great to see. That's a good idea. All right, thank you, Sarah. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you everyone for joining us. We'll see you okay. in a couple of weeks. Bye. Thanks everyone. Take care. Bye-bye.